No, that was good. Thank you for sharing your personal experience. Uh, I want to turn, I hear your Bible. Can you please turn to Colossians chapter uh, 3, verse 16 to 17, as we kick off our new sermon series, Sing. Uh, one of the two places, actually, in the, the New Testament talks about singing explicitly. Uh, so if you can turn there, uh, we're going to start our sermon here. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. I'll be reading from the ESV version. It's also on the, on the screen behind me. Here's what the Word of God says about singing. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you. We come, come submit ourselves to your Holy Spirit to teach us at this time. Thank you for the beauty of songs that we just sang. Thank you for your word, the, the everlasting truth to never change. And so thank you for the opportunity we can hear from your word. The spirit of God illuminates your word. So God, speak through my vocal cord right now. Lord, stand in my body, think in my mind. Lord, have me preach and share the words that are that, that is from you. And Lord, help us to take these words, obey them, follow them and live them out so that we can experience uh, the goodness of God so that we can glorify you in every place where we go live and play and work. So Lord, give us ears to hear, hearts to focus, and hands to live out in obedience. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's kind of a funny topic about singing because I don't know about you, uh, if you grew up at church, no one ever talked to you about how to sing. I remember the first time I went to church. I did not grow up in a Christian family. The first time I entered into their church building, uh, I went to their youth group. I kind of sneak in from the back, the whole room is dark, and I just walk in and all these people just stood. They just stood there and start singing. Like, you don't get that at school, right? You don't get that at work. That's not a normal thing. Unless you go to a concert, like that's just not a day-to-day -day thing. People just stood up in the dark and start singing. And then the band up there just rocking it out, drum, guitar, and everything. You, I remember being a non-Christian standing there, it's like, what, what, what's going on? Like, these people all know the songs. I have no idea what to do. And then I will find some people next to me that, uh, I, I guess they were Christian. They're Christians, but I don't really know. But they just kind of like not sing. And then there's this guy up front who's just like screaming his lungs out. And then there's some people who are like, well, back then, when I was younger, there's no phone around. So they were just kind of uh, passing notes around, writing paper, writing this to one another. Like, I was like, wait, what is this thing? Like, people, and then I thought it was just a one-time thing. Maybe I just happened to be a Christian concert at the church. Uh, my parents, unfortunately, at the time, I felt that way. But now I feel fortunate because uh, my parents kept me at church. Uh, but my parents brought me back to the same church again. And then next week, we do the exact same thing. And week in and week out, we do the exact same thing for 15 to 20 minutes. And I'm wondering why on earth are we singing? And I'm waiting for the pastor to come and tell me, this is why we sing. But I don't know about your church experience. When was the last time you have heard a sermon or teaching about singing? And I'm ashamed to even admit that actually this is the first time I ever preached on, on singing. The thing that we do frequently, all the time. 
Yet for whatever reason, we don't look in the Word of God and wonder why we need to do this. We spend 20 minutes, if not more, on our service, in our worship service to sing. My sermon generally goes 30 and 40. So we're almost at equal time that we're doing exactly here for the Word of God and singing. But yet, the one thing that we do often and frequent in every Christian gathering that I've been a part of, we sing. But we don't talk about why we sing. And we just figure out, well, this is just what we do, right? To start a worship service, we're going to go three songs and then prayer. To start a, 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 a meeting, uh, a gathering, we must sing. But what I want to do is what, uh, for this series is we actually look in the Word of God and understand why we sing. Well, not only why we need to sing, but why we must sing. Because throughout the history of Christianity, throughout the tradition that we're part, that we've been a part of uh, graciously by God, that we are a singing people. Now back then, the song may not sound the same as what we were singing just now. At a certain period of time in history, the song sounds, in my judgment, a little boring. Sometimes a little fast. Sometimes a little out of tune. But whatever genre that you like, we've always been, Christians have always been a singing people. And there's a reason why. And so what we're going to do is this series is this. Today I'm going to kind of uh, share why we sing. And then next week we'll talk about how we sing. Then we're going to talk about how do we, as a body of Christ, local church, why we must sing. Why it's important that you are here or online, sing together with us. And finally, last week we're going to talk about why singing can be a display for an unbelieving world. Just like when I was a youth in 7th grade and 8th grade going into that church, why that singing matters and it makes an impression on me as a non-believer to know why these people sing. So I only have three points today. Uh, here's the first reason why we must sing. The first reason why we must sing is because you and I are created to sing. Very simply, we're created by God to sing. If you look at Psalm 139, here's what it says. For you formed, God, uh, the psalmist is speaking to God and praying to God. It says this, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Many of us know this verse. Many of us those uh, familiar with this. We talk about creation of God and how God gave us life in the womb. And if you look at picture, next picture. This is one of the more famous picture. Can we go to the next picture, please? And there you go. Uh, it was said that this picture was actually the, the picture of the century. How this photographer captured this womb in 18 weeks. We have, three, uh, we have boys in our house. I kept every single picture of, 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 of them being in my wife's womb. Did you know that in 12 week, and the 12 week mark of a baby, inside the womb, beautifully, wonderfully, fearfully made by God, at 12 week, the baby developed the vocal cord. The baby has the vocal cord like you do, like I do, and they have the ability, the capacity, the physiological, uh, 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 physiologically, they are able to make sound. That's the very, that's the very design of God. That if you can speak, you can sing. Now some sing better than the other, 
right? We all know that that person that try really hard to sing out of their heart, maybe in karaoke or in the shower. They're exercising their gift of creation, of design of singing, but that is not Billie Eilish. That is not Justin Bieber. That is not Frank Sinatra. <laughs> Right? We are created to sing. We're made by God physically to sing. We're made by God physiologically to sing. You and I have the lung that can push the air up through our vocal cord and then push out into our articulars through our mouth, our tongues, our lips, and we make sound. And the reason why you get to make sound, you can't make sound, is because God made you to make sound. And you and I are created physically to sing, but not just physically, but even emotionally to sing. Have you ever wondered why we don't stand and recite the national anthem? Here, well, I want to try this together. Let's go to the next slide, please. I put the, the words of the national anthem. We're going to say it together. Okay, just say it. Don't sing it. I know the urge is to sing it, but say it here. Ready? One, two, three. Oh, oh say can you see, see by the dawn's early light. What so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming, whose bright stripes and bright stars through the perilous fight, or the ramparts we watched were so gallantly streaming. Next slide. And the rockets' red glare, the bombs bursting in air, gave proof through the night that our flag was still there. Oh, say does that star-spangled banner yet wave? Or the land of the free and the home of the brave. Now you guys inspire like, do you guys feel like, yeah, USA? Probably not. I'll never forget like every, the time that I've been to a baseball game, a football game. I'm not even talking professional, even like a high school game. When we sing the national anthem, it can be the youngest kid playing like out of tune and making mistakes. But when everyone stands, and when you hear the music, when you sing that part at the end, the Star Spangled Better yet, wait, a, 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 Man, there is something that, that, that conjures up inside of your soul and your deepest part of your heart, isn't it? See, that's why God created songs and created us to sing, because music connects with us in the deepest crevice of our hearts, of our souls. That's also why when God made us, he created not just saying these words, but singing some things. Kids learn best with a rhyme. They don't just learn A, B, C, D. You know how my kids learn how to, how to learn their ABCs? They sing it out. They sing their Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. They sing songs because it connects to them in a different way than words alone that cannot. My kids were learning, uh, going through, we're going through this new city catechism, basically a set of questions about the truth about our, our faith, Christianity. And they will memorize, so there's a question and answer, and what happens, we'll teach them, but then it comes with a song. And when we play it in the car over the period of time, they just pick it up, they just keep singing it. They have no idea what, what is our hope in life and death. The answer is that we're not our own, but we belong to God. But they will sing that out, and they will remember that. And it might be the, the music might not be the most catchy of music, but somehow the music brings them to that truth. And that's what God intended music to be. God intended a song to be. There was a period of time I was, uh, my wife and I, before we had kids, we would go back to San Diego frequently, and I would visit my home church. And my wife knew that, and, and um, 
I don't know, for whatever reason, several times in a row, whenever we were singing among the congregations, I just start bawling and crying. Now you have to understand, like I'm not the most emotional person. I'm not the most expressive person. And, and my wife knew that and she's like, what's wrong with you? Why are you crying? Well, she didn't put it that way, that hard. She was nice. She was like, she would give me a, a Kleenex and I don't know why, but whenever I worship at home in my home church, whenever we sing, it just brings me back. Just a memory that I had with the people that, of God's people when I was younger. And it just caused me to praise God in a different way than perhaps I've been in any other places. But that's what music does, and that's what God called and created us to sing. But not only does God create us to sing, that's one reason, because you're made to sing. But God also, the second reason why we must sing is because God commanded us to sing. Did you know that God actually gave you a command to sing? That you don't really have an option. Just like the Great Commission that we recite, oh, oh, this Great Commission that we recite, just like every other command of God, there is a command for you and I to sing. And in fact, there is not only one. There are 50, over 50 commands in the book, in the, in the Bible, that calls us, commands us to sing. I'll give you one. Psalm 149, verse 1. It says this, Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of the godly. You see, this verse is not meant to take praise the Lord when you like to, when you feel it, sing it. By the way, Psalm, the book of Psalms, the entire book of Psalms is meant to be a collection of actual songs and music that people sing. See, we, we don't know the music now, but that does not erase the fact that those are lyrics to songs. All 150 of them were songs that the people of God at that time would sing frequently as a family and with their kids. So that they will remember that you're just very much like what we, uh, my family does with our kids with the catechism music. We are called, commanded to sing. Let me put it the other way to get to get through to you. If we're commanded to sing what you don't sing, you know what you're doing? You're disobeying God. When you don't sing, you're disobeying the, the command of God. When you don't sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of the godly. It's crazy to think there are 66 books in this Bible. God dedicated one book, the entire book, to music and songs. The book of Psalms is a collection of music that was that, that I said is over 150 of them. And that God gave us a book of songs to sing because he knows we are designed and created to sing and we're commanded to sing. Now, let me just real quickly run through some of the songs. It's not just in the book of Psalms. Throughout the entire Bible, we just walk through the Bible, the six acts of the, of the, of the, script, uh, of the narrative of scripture. One of the things we see is that the Bible are collectively expressing songs. The first song, let me, uh, the first song that I've ever written in the Bible, not the first song people ever sing, but the first one, most people uh, credit it as the first song of the Bible is Exodus chapter 15. You know what happened in chapter, Exodus chapter 14? God delivered the Israelites out of Egypt. The biggest event of all, the most historical event that Jews would frequently go back to is crossing the Red Sea. And, and after that happened, Moses, 
did not just declare victory and triumph, but he put it in a song. And here's what it says. I'll just give you briefly what it says. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. There is actually a, 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 a modern song now that based on this, this words, you can look it up by Starfield, called Who is Like Him? Who is Like You? Go, and it says exactly these words. That's the first song that we find in the Bible. But Psalm is only uh, comes from, from Exodus. He goes through the book of Psalms. Uh, Joy earlier mentioned that uh, particularly in time of, uh, of needs, we find the psalmist crying out, singing to the Lord. And I want to challenge you to start looking at the book of Psalms, not just as just a quotable kind of hallmark, hallmark card quote that you can put on and cover yourself. Really, it's a song that people sing from the bottom of their heart to God. People sing because they were happy. Psalm 117, verse 2, For great is his steadfast love toward us. The faithfulness of God endures forever. Praise the Lord. When things are going well, they praise the Lord. They sing to God. When things were not going well in desperation, they sing to God. Psalm 40, verse 2 to 3. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Do you know that over 60% of the book of Psalms are what they call songs of lament? Songs that people struggle with God. There were complaints about God. There were anger toward God. There were desperation toward God. Over 60% of the book of Psalms are lament songs. Let me ask you a question then. How often do we sing songs like that? Like the songs of lament in our worship services. Think of the songs that we sing often. Are these songs of lament? Do they match what the book of Psalms discovered? But only the song of lament and sorrow, songs of needs. Psalm 31, 19 to 21. How abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you, work for those who take refuge in you in the sight of children of mankind. Don't we need this song right now? Today in this country. But not only Psalmist sing, Moses sing, the prophets sing. When we come to the prophets, we tend to think they just prophesy and say, predict things happen in the future, but actually they sing as well. So I give you an example, Isaiah 52, 9. In the midst of their struggle, they sing because they see a future with hope. This is what they sing, break forth together into singing. Man, you waste places of Jerusalem. In the midst of their, of their wasted state of life in Jerusalem, Isaiah sang this song and said, Break forth together in singing, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all nations, and that all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. I want you to notice the, the tense here is future. They are singing something that is not happening right now. Again, it was what we're going through in this country, in this world right now with coronavirus. How much we need to look to the future and start celebrating, singing with the hope that the future will come. The prophets give us examples of that. Not only Old Testament, I'll go to the New Testament. In the midst of persecution and in prison, you know what the apostles did? They sang. Acts 16.25, about midnight, Paul and Silas in prison, locked up, 
You know what they do? They were praying and singing hymns to God. And guess what everybody else around them doing? The prisoners were listening to them. And if you are going through a tough time, then you feel like the walls are just really pressing in on you. We have an example here. We ought to pray to God, but we got to sing to God. The last, certainly, but not least, in the last book of the Bible, two weeks ago, we looked at the, the glory, future glory of Revelation. But what capture was being captured by the vision to John the Apostle is this, that they sang. Revelation 5 9, and they sang. They sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open the seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Revelation 5 9, Revelation 7 9, Revelation 15, Revelation 21. People of God are singing in the future in heaven. That is the fullest display of God. I love that picture that Joy painted for us earlier. When thousands of voices together singing. Man, that's what we are prepared and made to do. That's what we're called to do. That's what we will do. And God has commanded us to do. Not just in the future, but here today. Uh, one of the Christian artists, his name is Keith Getty. He writes uh, quite a bit. Him and his wife will, uh, write quite a few uh, modern hymns. And most notably, you might all know, in Christ alone. I love the way he put this. He said, Christian singing is so much more than just doing our duty. But it's never less. I'll say that again. Christian singing is so much more than just doing our duty, but it's never less. So we don't just sing because God commands us, oh, it's my duty to do it. But it should never be less than that. We are commanded by God to sing in Colossians 3, 16 tells two things what we're commanded to do. The first one is this, that we're commanded to sing the word of God. Here's a passage that we read earlier, Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. How? How do we let the word of God dwell in us? Most of us think to reading the Bible. Most of us think to come to church, listen to sermon. But look at what happened here. Paul says, here's how you let the word of God dwell in you richly. Teaching, admonishing one another in all wisdom. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankful, thankfulness in your hearts to God. We are called, commanded to sing the word of Christ so that the word of Christ can be in us. See, when you don't sing, we're missing a part of how we can connect with the word of God. That's why what we sing matters. That's why I encourage and challenge our, our worship leaders to spend time praying and picking songs not because you like the tune, not because you like the melody, not because your, your team can play that song. What you sing ought to matter because your song, the song that you pick, should lead us to Christ. It should teach us about Christ. And at times, the song we sing ought to admonish, rebuke us about our slothful ease, about our laziness, about our drift, uh, being driven away from God. Our songs that we sing, the songs that we sing must cause us to give thanks to God. I'm not just go picking up a bunch of quote-unquote Christians so that I can sing to my heart's delight. I'm singing because I need Jesus. I need the Word of God to be inside of me. That's what we're commanded to sing, the Word of Christ. We don't need to sing literally every single word of Christ from the Bible, but what the content of what we sing ought to matter. 
ought to point us back to Christ. That's the first thing God commanded us to do. We need to sing the word of Christ. Here's the second one. We must sing. We're commanded to sing to one another. Man, as Christians, sometimes we a particular American Christian, we can fall in the trap of thinking worship is just me and God. So perhaps we have five, ten, a, a thousand people meeting together. We just happen to worship God in the same room, but we're not worshiping with God uh, to God as one together. Look at the verse and what it says. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you, plural, richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and with thankfulness in your hearts, plural. Paul never intended it just for us to sing on our own, which is okay, it's fine that we worship God alone, but there's more to worship than that. That's why you and I need to be together, whether in person or online now, to sing together because you need to come, your worship ought to be more than just a vertical relationship with God. Part of being letting the word of God dwell in you richly is it requires somebody else singing over you. We need to sing to one another. You are here today, those of you in person here today, Needed to be here because there's someone behind you, next to you, in front of you, needed to hear the word that was sung. And perhaps that person just don't have the capacity, the, the emotions, the, the, the drive, the motivation to want to hear the word of God. But as you sing it, whisper loud, off tune, on key, off key. As you sing those words, those are the very words that that person needed to hear from the Lord. That's why we must sing together. Because your worship is more than just you and God. Your worship extends to the people around you. That's why when we sing together, there is something that God is doing and bringing us together. And the most amazing thing is, not only we need to sing over one another, 79 and 3.17, one of my all-time favorite verses in the Bible says this. It's not on the screen. Says this, I'll read it to you. Sabaniah, one of the minor prophets, says this, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet over you by his love. And he will exult over you with loud singing. We're commanded to sing because God calls us to sing to him and sing to one another. But the God that we worship is singing over you. And he's singing notes of praise. He's singing notes of redemption. He's singing notes of forgiveness. He's singing notes of uh, uh, getting rid of your guilt. Singing notes over you that get rid of your shame. And when you cannot believe in who God is, even though you're a believer, God is singing over you. And we're singing over one another so that we can come back, return to God. That's why we must sing. We're commanded by God to sing. And Jesus himself obeyed God in singing. Twice. The word of God recorded that Jesus sang. Jesus did not sing in, in the middle of feeding of 5,000. Jesus did not sing uh, uh, when he was healing uh, the paralytic. The two times that, that, that was recorded of Jesus singing is in Matthew 26 and Matthew 27. If you know, and turn there, you know it was immediately after the Lord's Supper. Right after the night that he was about to be arrested, when he has instituted the communion and before he left from Mount Olives, Matthew 26, verse 30 says, When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And you know what's the next time he's saying again? 
when he was on the cross. Matthew 27. At the sixth hour, there was a darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, it's about three o'clock in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, let us abakdani. That's my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You might be wondering, Ben, that's not a song. You know, Jesus was likely, though speculation on my part, he quoted Psalm 22, but I doubt he quoted because that will be a song that Jesus was singing all over throughout his upbringing and life, that he will be singing from the book of Psalm. Perhaps he was screaming, yelling, he was singing, but it is from a song that he's crying out to God. You know what Jesus needed to sing the most is when he was on the way to the cross. Jesus sang on the way to the cross. Jesus sang when he was at the cross, when he was about to die for you and I. Jesus sang. How much more do we need to sing in our times of suffering, in our times of difficult challenges? Here's the last one. We, we're, we're created to sing. We're commanded to sing. Here's the last one. I think most profoundly ought to be the motivation for us is this, that we must sing because we are compelled to sing. Man, I love that word compelled. And there's a depth, a fullness of that word. And Paul used it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, for the love of God compels us. For the love of Christ compels us. You know what compelling is? Compelling is not my kids. Fine, Dad, I'll clean my room. Compelling is not my, my, my kids. Like, fine, Dad, I'll do the dishes. Compelling means when my wife, out of her love for me, go above and beyond to do things for me that she didn't have to do. Compelling means a parent will sacrifice all that he or she has for the, for the sons and daughters just so that they have something that, that, that they will like to have. Compelling comes from a deep place of our hearts because something happened to us and there's love there that drives us, stirs us, motivates us to do something that man, we'll give everything to do this. And that's what God tells us to do. We need or compelled to sing because the love of Christ is in us to compel us, move us, stir us to sing. And that's what genuine worship is, isn't it? Genuine worship is really our response to God's revelation. That's what ultimately your worship, acts of worship, what is singing, living out your life, it is a response to what God has revealed to you. There's no worship, there's no awe, if there's no response. Like when is the last time you go to a concert, go to a sporting event, and you just like sit there? Yay, we won. No, there, there's something that compels you because your team won. I know, I know NBA suspended and all of your NBA fans, but they brought me to that last year uh, when Kawhi Leonard, now LA Clippers, in the Eastern Final, last second, he put up a shot in the corner of court, the ball bounced on the rim really high, it looks like it won't go through, and you can see, if you go back on YouTube, you can see the whole stadium in Toronto, all eyes will glue onto the ball. Most people, if you ask them, they were probably thinking, that ball's not going in. There was suspense, and then the ball just bounced, and bounced, and then for whatever reason, it fell through. 
And if you look at the video, the people, you can see their face. Yeah! <laughs> they just jump out of their seat. They're compelled because their team won. Let me ask you a question. Are you compelled to worship God? If you're not compelled, why? Is it because you haven't really get the revelation that God has given I'm not talking about some secret revelation. I'm like, the revelation God has given to us are, 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 are plain. This is good news. John chapter 8, let me read the good news to you. John chapter 8 verse 32 says this, Jesus said to the Jews who have believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And verse 36, if the Son set you free, you will be free indeed. Do you get that revelation? Are you, are you convicted of that revelation of the good news in your life? See, the gospel frees us from the consequence of sin, so we no longer die in, uh, in eternity. The gospel frees us from the control of sin, that as believers, we have the Holy Spirit to help us through our temptations. And one day in heaven, it says, where it frees us from the presence of sin, that we'll no longer live with sorrow, pain, and with no more tears. This is the freedom that you have in the good news. Are you convinced of that? Are you compelled by that? Or is it just some add-on in your life that I have a good life here on earth now, this is a kind of insurance policy, is really not that good, not that important to me, but I'll get it anyway. But because if you are compelled by the truth of God, that is from Romans 5, 8 to 9, so a verse that we know well, says this, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us and sins therefore. We have now been justified by His blood. Much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. And don't go fast. Don't 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 look through. The, don't look over this verse too quickly. And we're saved by God from the wrath by Christ from the wrath of God. And if that is not a reality to you, then that would not compel you to sing. Uh, one of the um, uh, cool things being a pastor is you get to pick a song that you like uh, to sing. And I particularly ask uh, our worship team to sing before the throne of God about because I think that second stanza, that, that lyrics really, is a, a lyrics that, that we would never, I would never get tired of singing. I just want to say it to you because this is the reality that we have through the gospel. When Satan tempts me to despair, and tells me of the guilt within. Upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sins, to all your sins. Because the sinless Savior died for God, uh, for my sinful soul is counterfeit. For God the just is satisfied to look on him, Jesus, and pardon me. To look on him and pardon me. And I can spend eternity just saying that truth. And every time I have a bad day, every time I feel I can't get close to God because I'm so sinful, I'm so ashamed. I remember this verse and just start singing that. I realize, man, that's what the Satan, that's what Satan wants to do to lead me to despair. But we have a God who gives us songs who reminds us. So here's the bottom line, is the gospel, the good news, a true revelation to you. And if it is, then we ought to be compelled to respond to God in singing. 
I'm gonna invite the worship team up. We're actually gonna sing this song together. And we'll also take some time to partake the communion. Every single month we take the communion to remember what Christ has done. And so what we're gonna do is this. Uh, if you are a believer and you have been baptized, uh, we, are, we put our communion elements at the back today. I wanna sing this song before the throne of God above. And I want to invite you to go back there and grab the element. Uh, it is the prepackaged one, prepackaged one. Um, and as we sing this song, I want you to to lean into the song and the words that we're singing. And when you're ready to take the communion, go ahead and take it at your seat on your own. I want to sing this song over a few times. And let this be a worshipful reflection and time before the Lord. That we're not just taking it because it's tradition we take it to him, but it is a time to remember what Christ has done for us. So let me pray for us, and then I'll worship. We'll, we'll sing a song and call uh, call you to sing with us. And in the meantime, if you uh, can go to the back and grab it, I'll return to your seat, and let's just worship God together and give Him the proper response out of the revelation to our lives. Let's pray, Heavenly Father. Christ has died on the cross, he's been raised from the dead, and today we declare and proclaim this beautiful truth. That those who have put their trust in you, we have eternal life. That we've been set free. So Lord, as we sing this song, we get to, we're reminded that we get to be come before the throne of God above. When in ourselves we have no right, we're not worthy of doing that. So Lord, lead us into worshiping you by partaking your communion today. We pray for the bread, pray for the cup. Remind us again the price that you paid for us to have a new life in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I invite you to go to the back and take the element if you've been baptized. And we're going to sing before the throne of God. Amen.